This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. It is the 30th anniversary of the creation of the World Wide Web, which is not the same as saying the Internet is 30 years old. Of course, the World Wide Web was a means of accessing the Internet, a very open means of accessing the Internet. So what was so significant about the creation of the World Wide Web? Without it, what might the Internet have looked like? And where do we go from here in terms of the internet of the future well joining us uh, for some thoughts very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon uh dan york who is director of web strategy with the internet society uh, an online publication you read more at internetsociety.org. dan thanks so much for joining us here welcome to the program Thanks, Rob. Great to see you. Great to talk to you here. All right. Well, when people hear inter- or hear World Wide Web, you know, I think they, they assume that that means the Internet. They're interchangeable terms in, in the minds of a lot of people. But we're talking about different things. So what do we mean when we say World Wide Web? Sure. I mean, to think about it differently, right, the Internet is this global network of networks. You know, whoever you're connected to, you've got a connection, whether it's from your house on a broadband provider, you know, maybe with your cable provider, with somebody like that. You've got this connection to this network. Now, on top of that, these days, you're going to be using, um, you know, email. You might be using Skype or, or WhatsApp or, or anything like that. You're using different services, and those are all kind of applications and services that exist on top of the Internet. The web is pretty much the largest of those services that we use. But we also use email. We use voice or IP. We use all those kinds of things that are there. So the Internet is this underlying network of networks. And, and the web is one of the most prominent services running on top of that. So what needed to happen then? What happened 30 years ago that, that allowed this to, to come into existence? Sure. Well, if we step back to that time, those were the early days when there weren't a lot of people online. And if we really look back, many parts of what has become the Internet started out, in fact, 50 years ago. In 1969, some of the early parts of the ARPANET and mm-hmm. things that would evolve to become today's Internet all began. And in those days, 30 years ago, there were a lot of other services. We sent email. We used FTP to transfer mail. We, used, we, we got in discussions and you know, debates inside of what were called Usenet forums. We were using a, a technology called Gopher that let us go, instead of using pages, it was menus that you went through. There was all of these things. And it was the beauty of the Internet has been that it's this, it's this general purpose network. Anybody can get on there. You don't have to ask permission to create a new service. You can just go and get started in that. And, and in those days, there were a bunch of different services trying to figure out what was the best way to interact with, with information. And there was, you know, there was a service called HiTelNet, there was a service called Waze, there was a service, all these ones. And over in, at CERN in Switzerland, Tim Berners-Lee set up this service that he called the World Wide Web. 
And in the beginning, it was, it was actually on a computer on his desk or under his desk. And that was the entirety of the web. And so people could go, you could connect over to this site, you could log in, and you could go and press numbers. You know, today we click or tap on links. Back then, you pressed numbers to go follow a link on there. And there wasn't much there. Mm-hmm. But, but Tim Berners-Lee did something remarkable, which was that he gave away the source code. He gave away the information so everybody could go and set up their own servers. They could create their own clients to go and connect with this, and they could start to do this. And so you could suddenly be able to start publishing and putting your content online without having to ask permission. Back in those days, there were things like CompuServe, AOL, Prodigy, Delphi, Genie, all these information services that you had to have a subscription to to dial in and get you know, content online. And you paid, and, and it, they were all what we called walled gardens of content. You paid, you got in, you saw the stuff that was there. But the web created this open publishing layer that you could go and, and anybody could publish if they could get access to the Internet, and anybody could consume. But then the big thing that happened that really set the web apart was actually a couple years later when there was a web, a web browser, you know, and this was a new word for us all, right, web browsers. It was a browser called Mosaic that let us go and put images in with, with text. Now, before that, most things had been text-based, and, and there were a number of these browsers because the beautiful thing was that the web was this free and open software that used open protocols so you could communicate. We spoke the same language. You know, we were able to go and do this. And so Mosaic and several others let us put images with text, and suddenly there was this graphical way to work with, you know, information across the Internet. And that's really what, what brought about this explosion of content that, that transformed the Internet in the ways that we know it today. You know, I mean, the web depends on the Internet for, to be able to work, but the Internet would not be where it is without what the web brought to it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So th- it was 1989 that when he laid out this this idea. So it's interesting because as, as you wrote today, so it was 1991, you were teaching a course called Introduction to the Internet, and that was still <laughs> a few years before any of us had really heard of the Internet. Right. So how far along were things by 1991? Well, in 1991, it was still where you had to connect into this site. In You could actually go to it if you want to. It's info.cern.cern, info.cern.ch. They have some of the historical info there. But you would actually tell that. You'd connect in. You'd log in over there across the Internet, and you'd go in there and use that. But like I said in my blog post today, I, I had one page in the back of the book on this because – I was teaching people how to do email and FTP and Archie, Veronica, go for all these different things were out there. And, and I had that one page as one of these emerging technologies. And, and that was kind of where it was. But then um, some folks in, in different parts of the world started to make these web servers available. They started to let people have web servers, web browsers, so they could publish and view this stuff. And then we started to see this take off as more people said, wow. I can put my information about my, my organization or my company or my hobby or whatever, and we could go and post this information and do that. And that was when it started to happen. And then 92, 93, you started to see these graphical web browsers, these things like Mosaic, and then later you had Netscape Navigator and Pieces, which all of that kind of brought on and then evolved to where we went into Internet Explorer and Google Chrome and Mozilla Firefox and everything today, and then all of the mobile browsers. Yeah. 
it was uh, it was pretty crazy in those early days, though, because you know we taught. I, I went on to teach people how to create websites, and it was you know you open up a, web, a, a what would you think about like Notepad or TextEdit, and you go and you type everything in by hand, all these HTML tags, and it was very <laughs> rudimentary, yeah. you know. But that was how it all began, and and people had this power to go and do it. It was amazing. Right, and it was really difficult, I suspect, to, to envision where this was all going to go. Right? Oh, we had no idea. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we had no idea that it would become this, this massive thing and, and that the web would be the channel to do that. You know, I mean, it, it was pretty clear as, as the web started to emerge that this was the way that people would be able to look and consume information and things like that. But as you look today at how... You know, the Internet with the web has become this this huge, you know, platform for commerce, for communication, for collaboration, for all of that. You know, none of that was imagined. But, but back at the beginning, in the creation of the Internet, they really looked at it saying, we want to create a general purpose network, something that anybody can do anything with. And there's this whole concept of permissionless innovation that you don't have to ask for permission and that's really the the internet we want the the web we want the the one that's open and that allows us to be able to go and and make that kind of innovation are we moving away from that though well we certainly have concerns you know we we've seen that there's there's a natural consolidation, a centralization that's happening on the internet, on the web, on the things like this, and and it's a it's a concern. You know, Tim Berners Lee, the the creator of the of the web, was just talking about this today in some of his his speeches and things that were going on with that, and it was actually a topic of a recent global internet report that my organization, the Internet Society, came out with, which people can you can read about it, future.internetsociety.org, and we talked about. There are this consolidation happening. This, it's very real. It's going on, and, and we worry about it. But it, we did a lot of investigation trying to prepare this report and trying to say, you know, are there, you know, is it definite that everything's bad and we should break everything up and do all these different kinds of things? And those are kind of the simplistic answers. We know that big companies have an impact on the Internet, but, you know, there's pluses and minuses, Right. Amazon may dominate some of the computing with Amazon Web Services, but that same capability gives, you know, Canadian startups in Calgary or in anywhere around, gives them phenomenal computing power that they could only have dreamed of 10 years ago. You know, there's there's a lot that we have to think about, and, and there's both positive and negative aspects to all of it. We have to really look at what is happening with this. So we're partly, the Internet Society, we're engaged in sort of a year-long look at what are these issues? What are these things we have to tease apart? You know, we don't want to break the Internet in the ways to try to improve it in different ways. We want that general purpose network, that permissionless innovation, we want that to be able to be alive. And so some of the simplistic answers that are being thrown about are, are worrisome as well. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an important time. We want this Internet to be available for everyone everywhere. Well, we do. But, I mean, the Internet is, is changing. The Internet means a lot of things. And, I mean, it's not even a case necessarily where you need the web. I mean, uh, we access the Internet through apps. We access the right. Internet in the, the Netflix we watch. We have devices. Uh, we have, you know, the Internet of Things now, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we do. And, and that's right. It's, it's, there's so many other things. We look at all the private messaging that's happening, all the different stuff that's going on. Um, we... Um, we see all of that, and that is that's um, all happening, and it's the different parts of how the internet goes. 
So where's it going to be in 30 years from now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to hope that the Internet it, that still is remaining, that it's for everyone, that it's trustworthy, that it's secure, that it's accessible around there. You know, I hope that we can see where we go. To me, this is, you know, one of the most important things that we need to look at. We have a choice of futures. You know, and today, there's only about half the world online. But we really must look at, as the other half of the world comes online, how do we ensure that they come to a web that is safe, that is trustworthy, it's globally connected, it's open for opportunity, and that people have this kind of collaboration and communication? How do we do that? And how do we make sure that as we look at those choice of futures, we don't break the Internet that we know today in, in the ways that, uh, that will not work for the people in the future? Yeah, yeah, well said. Much more at internetsociety.org. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. All right. Thank you very much, Rob. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.